If everybody took up running consistently tomorrow morning, psychologists would become almost obsolete overnight. One of the main reasons why I came on the podcast, other than the fact that I really love what you do, I've seen a few of your podcasts, is to impress upon people that we really need to let go of the idea that we need to be living somebody else's fucking life. And there is a far higher purpose to life than waking up going to work for 10 hours, coming home, paying bills and going to sleep and living that on autopilot. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey guys, it's RJ here from Ultra Habits, and we are super, super grateful that you are joining us on today's episode. So today our guest is Abbas Soki. So Abbas is a guy that I came across through my personal network. So, you know, I'm connected with a lot of ultra endurance athletes on Facebook, and I get the pop-ups of what people are doing. And, you know, initially this guy was no different. I was looking at some of the runs and some of the cycling and started to notice that, hey, this guy is really starting to cycle some crazy distances up and down Australia. And, you know, his 24-hour runs really started to catch my eye. And, you know, I started to dive more into Abbas's story. And what was quite remarkable was that I uncovered that not that long ago, maybe a little bit over a year, he was extremely unhealthy. So he was overweight. His lifestyle wasn't right. And within such a short space and time, uh, to the extent that I've never seen before, he transformed. And he didn't only transform his body, but his mindset, everything. He completely shifted and transformed as an individual. And for me, what was interesting was how he went about this and how He's continued to push the needle. So we were talking about somebody that was completely unhealthy, completely unhealthy, to now running ultra endurance events, 24-hour events, cycling, you know, from Sydney to the Gold Coast, from Sydney to Adelaide. He's attempting to break a Guinness Book of World Records with a friend of his, and the guy is just completely shifted. And I had to get him on the show to really understand how in such a short space in time he was able to do what he's done. What were the habits, the mindset, the behaviors? What were some of the roadblocks? You know, we all know, you know, for those of us that had to go through a transformation, it's not easy at the beginning. And that's when most people fall off. You know, he went into the gym and he was overweight and you know, he would have dealt and he did deal with the comparisons and, you know, I'm not good enough, but he pushed through that. And I felt like it was really important to get him on the show to unpack that. Now, Albus is also a high powered defense attorney in Sydney. You know, he he's a defense attorney to some of the most infamous and notorious characters out there that adds another element of intrigue in, to the story, because ultimately, you know, that was part of the lifestyle that he was living before, you know, going out, you know, doing what you do, schmoozing clients, being with clients. And now he just doesn't operate that way. He shifted his whole lifestyle. So I think, you know, it was really, really important to not only unpack 
how and what he went through at the beginning of his transformation, but the mindset that he's adopted today and how he is continuing to push the throttle in challenging himself. You guys are going to really enjoy this episode. As always, please rate this podcast. Let us know. Reviews, reviews, reviews. They help us go. They help us scale. This message is now across the continents. You know, we're, we have a lot of viewers here in Australia, so super, super grateful to our Australian audience, obviously the United States. We, we have a, a large follower base there. But as you guys continue to leave reviews, as the message spreads, I'm watching this thing go truly global, and I'm really, really grateful for that. Anyways, folks, I'm out of here. Peace. Have a great week. Abbas, welcome to Ultra Habits, man. It is, uh, it's fantastic to have you on the show. been watching your journey on Facebook. Uh, I think I was connected to you through some mutual friends and just have been really, really inspired by your change and, and your shift and transformation when it comes to your weight loss journey. And I really wanted the opportunity to get you on the show because I feel like our audience can learn a lot about your habits and how you were able to anchor yourself through such a, a change in such a short period in time. So welcome to the show, man. Thanks, RJ. It's a pleasure to be here, mate. I witness a lot of inspirational things, and inspiration is great and motivation is great, but we all know that change really needs to be anchored through action. And I've just watched your journey, and I don't really know off the top of my head anyone that I feel has undergone such a transformation in such a short space in time like I kicked off. I mean, not only have you lost the weight, but your journey into ultra endurance is remarkable. Now, I just, I, I want to take it back to when you were overweight and you decided to kind of go on this journey was there a rock bottom moment? Was there like a moment you were like, fuck, I, I can't do this anymore? Was it, or was it like a culmination of things that took you to that moment of, of I guess, where you became willing to change? For me, it, it started uh, about just under two years ago. It was around October 2020. And um, it got to the point where I think it was about 125, 126 kilos, very overweight. Um, and couldn't even run 100 metres without feeling like I was going to have a heart attack. And it was something deeply personal that happened around that period of time that just shook me to my core. And um, it, it, the change was really, it wasn't forced. It was more me realising that life, the way it was going, couldn't really continue and be tenable in that way. Um, so there was a trigger that made me, uh, that got me out of first gear um, and I feel like that th there's always a trigger that leads someone uh, to take that first step that initial step which is always the hardest step because that's the platform from which you then develop that consistency and the discipline so you you have this uh, personal moment and this situation occur so what was the process like how did you go about change like walk us through that initially it was it was the decision that came first, it was the decision that something needed to change. You know, as my, I'm in a legal background, I'm a solicitor, uh, a criminal lawyer, criminal defence lawyer, and I was labouring away every single day, slugging it out, you know, 12-hour days, 13-hour work days. My health completely took a turn for the worse. Then I had that personal issue as well around that period of time. 
and there was really something that just needed to change. But at the at the point at that point in time, I really couldn't pinpoint what it was. Um, I started going to the gym, and you're talking about a 125, 126 kilo person who was extremely unfit. Going to the gym, uh, I started with a few high intensity sessions, and then gradually built from there. And I started around October, November 2020. That's when I started uh, that training journey. And I went on my first run around two months later at the end of December, 29th of December, 2020. Did you have a PT from the very start? No. So you did it on your own? Correct. So when you went to the gym initially, we all know the gym is like a club sometimes. Like how... (laughs) You know, it's like a club where no one's drinking, everyone's exercising and looking at themselves in the mirror as we do. How did you feel in terms of your level of confidence? Like a lot of people can't get past that, right? You walk into the gym, you're overweight. Everyone's all like, you know, active wear, skinnied out. Like how did you manage that internally? Look, it's even for even for me, a young male, it's pretty daunting, uh, to be in that sort of environment, you know, where the, the natural reaction is to compare. And that's the first thing that you learn in that process is you just need to cut all that comparison bullshit and you need to do your own thing. And you get to the point where even, and we'll come to this a bit later, even in endurance-based events, you got to cut all that comparison and you've just got to do your own thing and go at your own pace, and that's very important. So you're in the gym. How did you know what to do? Obviously, I've, I learned a few things by looking at you know online and high intensity workouts and high intensity sessions. I'd done a I'd done a stint many 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 years ago in Thailand, um, where I trained in Thailand, did some high intensity sessions there. So there was there was a base level knowledge from which I could then project, but. There are many videos on YouTube and, you know, sessions that you could learn on YouTube. But for my journey, it all started with in around the October, November 2020 time period where I started doing those high-intensity sessions, dropped a bit of weight, and then started moving into cardio when, I, when my body could handle it. How did you support yourself with diet? Because diet must have been a big part. Like, you, you've got all these habits, right, around how you eat, what you consume, Okay, yeah, you're going to the gym. We know lots of people that go to the gym but stay overweight because they don't shift, which is fundamentally really uh, hard. How did you shift your diet? Well, the shift, the diet shift wasn't an immediate thing. I I just needed to get my body used to the movement again and used to the exercise. And as I started running, about which was about two months after I started training, that's when there was a gradual shift with the diet. You can't just go from zero to 100. And uh, I mean, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a dietitian. I'm not even a, a physio or, or, or a P, PT. Um, but I know my, from my personal experience, I couldn't just go from zero to 100 and have a radical shift in everything. It needed to be a gradual progression. What's also interesting about your journeys, your, a lot of your commencement of transformation was during covid how did COVID help or hinder? I started around, uh, as I said, around October, November 2020, which was around the period of time when the gyms were starting to to open again. 
And then there was a close in the gyms. From memory, I think there was a close in the gyms around early 2021. But by that stage, I'd, I'd, been, I'd been running by that stage. Once I got my body to a point where it could handle the movement of running and I dropped the weight, it was really just running that took over everything. I think it was around December 2020 from memory. As you were going through this process, were there ups and downs or what you would call relapses? Like, did you fall off or were you really consistent? And how did you stay consistent when I'm sure things got hard? There were really no relapses because it was a total, for me, it was a total mindset shift. And that's that's what I try to explain to everybody is that if you're going to, um, for example, if you're going to go to the gym, that's that's a particular thing that people do that they enjoy. Um, running for me is what I enjoy. Cycling is what I enjoy as well. More recently, I've taken up cycling, as you probably saw. Um, but for me, it's 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 not the results that drive me. It's not my appearance that drives me. It's the process that drives me, and it's the thought that you know, in three months or in two months, I'm going to be riding 1,400 kilometers in 70 hours, and it's that goal-based. You know, it's achieving those goals that drives the consistency and drives the discipline, and it, it applies in all aspects of of work, you know, of life. It applies in the professional life as well. Um, it's just finding that pace that you can operate at consistently and be disciplined to stick to that pace. As you reflect back on your journey, was there a moment that you can pinpoint where you realized exercise wasn't something you were doing? It was something, it was a part of you. I think I guess what I'm trying to say is every transformation I've come across, there's a real identity shift, right? So like it, it's not something like exercise and, and what you do today is effectively part of who you are. It's not something that you have to engage willpower every day to get up and do because it's now it's intrinsically part of how you operate and how you see yourself. And that's what we call the identity shift. Where you do you when you reflect back on your process, was there a point in time where you started to see yourself differently, or was it really gradual? Um, I think it, that's a brilliant question, and I think it's for me. I think it came around March two thousand and twenty-one, and that's when I realized that every single limitation that I previously put on myself. And every single, I suppose, mental constraint, you know, that I boxed in my mind was completely obliterated. And the reason I say that is because I started my running journey on the 20, people might ask, how does he remember the dates? I write everything, I used to write everything down and now I've got my Garmin that, you know, uh, tracks everything. Uh, but I used to write everything down. When I Before I had my Garmin, I used to write down my runs, my pace, my, my um distance and the question that you just asked um for me it was in march 7th of march 2021 which was the day that i ran from sydney to wollongong and that's about a 100 kilometer run but i'd ran that event for charity uh, it was a solo run and i ran it from sydney opera house to wollongong lighthouse and that was after two and a half months of running I went from 100 and 
25 kilos in uh, October 2020 to running a 100-kilometer ultramarathon, you know, about five months later. And that's when, it, that's when I realized that this was more than just training and this was more than just something you do and you get up, you put your shoes on, you go for a run. It's got to be a total mindset shift. It's an identity shift because the minute you realize that your body and your mind are capable of so much more than you give them credit for, you just want it and, and you're constantly driving towards it. And everything in your life changes, your relationships, your, your perception and your attitude towards work your attitude towards training, everything changes. Do you see yourself as a lawyer first or an athlete today? If you asked me that two and a half years ago or two years ago, I probably would have said, my, uh, I probably would have said all I see myself as a lawyer. But I'd say first and foremost, I'd probably now say athlete. But that's not to take away from how much I enjoy law and the, the passion I have for being a lawyer, but it's the athleticism and the running and the cycling and pushing my my mind and breaking mental barriers that allows me to bring so much more to the job than I previously did. It's fascinating. How much of your discipline and determination as a lawyer, and we're not, you're, you're, you're a, a top defense attorney. I think I'll make that clear. Like you're, some of the stuff and some of the work you've done is highly public, but how much of that was transferable like the discipline around your work, did you leverage any of that? Did you find that it served you in your weight loss journey as well as the world of ultra, your ability to go the long game? Like, have you seen any connections there? It's There's a lot of connections between my professional life and my social slash athletic life. The reason I say that is because as a lawyer, I mean, anybody as a business owner, there's you need to be disciplined. Nobody likes to come home at, you know, 7 o'clock at night to 15 folders that need to be read by the following morning. And the only way you would do that is discipline and consistency and knowing that something has to be done and getting it done. And if you transfer that into the ultra, the, you know, the world of ultra running and ultra cycling, it's going in with that mindset that things are going to get tough. Inevitably, things are going to get tough but you just need to keep plowing through and driving through and driving through. And there are so many commonalities, so many similarities between um, a professional life and, and the things that you endure in the professional space and things that you endure in the social front as well, you know, with relationships and breakdown in relationships or grieving a lost one, you know, a loved one who's passed away and the world of ultra as well. And it's just that, for me, one of the most useful pieces of advice I can give anybody who's about to start a journey or anybody who's midway through a journey that, you know, they're they're relapsing or having a difficult time, it's just recognizing that at the very beginning, things will be tough. And it's a matter of being okay with that. And it's a matter of knowing that when things get tough, Summon every fucking demon you can in your body and your mind and just plow through it. And that's the mindset that I take into these long distance and, and endurance based events. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I, I'm in the recovery community, you know, uh, recovering addict, hardcore. And uh, I notice our attrition rates huge in, in recovery. Like people 
don't have the ability to sit in the particularly early days of discomfort. And I actually tell a lot of people the same thing that you've said is that you have to get comfortable with the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable and allow yourself some grace. And I think it's the actual resistance, which is the problem to the fact that it's going to be uncomfortable versus just sinking into it and realizing and having trust and faith that one foot in front of the other, you're going to get through it. What you're talking about is the ability to navigate ambiguity as well. And as a lawyer, when things wouldn't always be clear, right? You you come up against difficult situations daily, prosecution has new evidence or rah, 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 whatever your rule looks like. I don't know the nuance, but you're having to pivot on a daily basis with your strategy. And and I you, you're quite right. That's what endurance is like, right? It's, endurance is unclear. It's ambiguous. One moment you feel on top of the world, the next minute you're crashing, you need food and, you know, you've got an injury, but it's just effectively trusting the process and and having faith that it is going to get better. And also, I think having the ability to see yourself at the end is important too, um, knowing that you'll you'll get there. In terms of the journey for you now, so I know that you're involved in a lot of cycling. So you've pivoted from running to cycling. Is is it, Was it an injury or is it just your preference or do you just like the ultra, ultra long distances on the bike? Uh, I'm still running and I still – see, my, my training schedule is a bit unorthodox because I do a lot of running training and then transfer what I, what I accumulate there onto the bike. Um, I don't do much cycling training. I find it boring, to be honest, cycling training per se. But uh, I enjoy the long-distance ultra-cycling, you know, cycling interstate. We cycled to Melbourne last year and uh, cycled to Queensland this year, and in a few weeks we're going to be doing the Adelaide cycle. Um, But my my passion is in running. Uh, I run probably nearly every day. I probably take about one or two days off a week, depending on how the body feels. And I've got a, I've got a few events uh, coming up, a run from Ulladulla to Sydney, which I think is about 230Ks, which we're hoping to finish within 24 hours. Um, that's a charity run. And there's a few 24-hour events coming up as well. Do you prefer to run road or trail? Road. You've run trail before? I've done a bit of trail running, but I never really enjoyed the technical aspect to trail running. For me, it was quite challenging because I never really practiced around trails. And I feel like for me to learn to run trails, it's just going to take away the time that I could otherwise be running long distances on road or cycling. We've got some excellent and I mean, unbelievable long distance road runners. I've had Pat Farmer on the show before, who's an Australian legend, been involved right. in government. Yeah, and lives a lives a bit like a monk, but he's still involved in an ultra. And he he does long distance road stuff. He he did a charity event during COVID with Dean Carnassus came down. I saw that a thousand thousand miles to light. I think yeah, a thousand miles to light. And so yeah, that's that's interesting. So you like to train for bikes by running because you don't like to train long distance and sit on a bike for hours without really going anywhere. That, that, that makes sense. And when you're involved in these 
events, particularly these long distance events, you do it with someone or do you typically do it by yourself? Uh, it depends on the event. If it's, if it's running, I typically run alone because I like to just get lost in my own thoughts. And um, I've done a few 12-hour runs alone. I've done a few 100-kilometer runs alone. And I, I find that it's, it's easier on my mind to be running alone uh, because I don't have to worry about, you know, anybody else's pace or slowing down or speeding up. And you get to that point in a long-distance run where you really just don't want to be around anybody. You know, the longer the run goes, the, the less social you become and you just want to get lost in your own thoughts and go into autopilot. Um, but I cycle with, with a friend of mine, um, Troy Jones. I'm sure you've, you've come across him. Yeah. So we've, um, we've done some interstate events and we've got a few big cycling uh, events happening in the pipeline. There's a ride to Adelaide and then there's a ride from after we finish that one, there's a ride from the southernmost point of Australia to the northernmost point of mainland Australia. And then we're planning on doing, we're cycling, we're planning on cycling Australia, which I think is about 14,000 kilometers. Are any of these records? So there's a world record attempt, a Guinness world record attempt I'm going to be doing. I just haven't set a date for it. That's going to be a seven-day cycle, furthest distance cycled in seven days, which I think the record currently stands at 3,507 kilometres, so I'd need to better that within seven days. Do you have the route planned for that, or you you haven't really thought that through yet? There's a few events that I need to do uh, before I get to planning that particular event, and there's going to be a support crew, and that's that's part of the reason why I'm playing around, so to speak, with the with these routes at the moment to figure out what the best route is to take on the on the seven-day cycle. When you're training through running, but ultimately you cycle long distance, do you find the fact that you haven't prepared through long cycles is an inhibitor, right? Because you're, you're training through running, but then you're getting on the bike and cycling 13, 1,400 kilometers. You're not training near to even half of that on a bike are you just to answer the question in this way by comparison i cycled along with troy to uh, melbourne in december last year which was over 850 k's i think we did it in 36 hours we then cycled to surface paradise in july of this year in that seven month period between the melbourne and surfers cycle i think i rode a bike for about 60 kilometers wow I found that the surface paradise cycle was a lot easier physically than the Melbourne cycle. And I think it's because I don't know the science behind it. I can only say what I, you know, what what I what I know based on my own personal experience, but the surface cycle was a lot easier both mentally and physically than the Melbourne cycle because I'd already done it before. It was just a matter of jumping on the bike shutting out all the noise and just keep spinning until you get there. A lot of people I run with, I run almost exclusively trail, but a lot of people I run with use the bike for recovery and they love it. Um, I, I've tried and then I've used swimming, which I'm not a really good swimmer. Um, but I've looked personally at varying my training with more strength training because what, you know, the irony with running so much is you run so much, you lose your strength and then you get injury prone. <laughs> 
and fatigued and it's it's high impact right and personally for me coupled with young children hitting my sleep you just you kind of you get into real getting sick territory you know i always find it really interesting unpacking people's style and uh and the way that they train is your is your nutrition what's your nutrition like when you're on the bike for those distances are you eating by the clock or the field that's a very good question so whether it's on the bike or running, it's the, the nutrition is um, there's got to be a set plan because by the time you're thirsty or by the time you're hungry, it's already too late. Your body's depleted. So there's got to be a set plan that every hour you'll you'll have this many bananas, you'll have this many carbs, uh, you'll have this many liters of water. And it, there's really got to be a set plan because, and I found out the hard way on the way to surface paradise. <laughs> I was eating something that had a, a high fiber content. I didn't realize it until the end of day one that why am I spending so much time in the toilet on the way up to Surface Paradise? And, but <laughs> but all, yeah, all jokes aside, it's, it's just a matter of having that plan and um, having a nutrition plan, a hydration plan, and sticking to it to a T. Even if you don't want to eat, force yourself to eat because by that stage, by the time you start to feel hungry or you start to feel thirsty, you've already started heading backwards and it takes time to recover from that. I want to shift the conversation to lifestyle ongoing. Um, you know, I, I, you're, a, you're a defense attorney and you're a high-profile defense attorney and I'm sure your life would have included a lot of going out, eating, drinking potentially before. How has your lifestyle shifted from... What would your what would your lifestyle look like two years ago versus now? And like, have you found the whole how you manage clients to be harder since you probably don't party as much or whatever? Because the re what I'm getting at is a lot of people that are looking at change that are in you know high uh, context business environments that go out with clients, they do a lot of the client schmoozing. One of the fears they have is shifting their lifestyle. They won't be able to entertain and engage and win the business like they used to. And I think it's all bullshit. Like that's that's typically our own mindset. Like most times our clients respect and I think they they value that we're kind of clear headed. But how for you has your lifestyle shifted from before to now? And has there been any negative impact or any positive impact? So if I, if I can just answer or we'll start by answering it in this way, there is absolutely no negative impact to, to the mindset shift and, and the lifestyle shift that, that I embarked on the better part of about a year and nine months ago, however long it was. There is zero impact, no negative impact. I can honestly say that I'm around a lot of lawyers, I'm around a lot of entrepreneurs, uh, people in the corporate life, and the corporate world is like a quagmire of shit. <laughs> and you've got a lot of people who are just on autopilot not knowing what direction their life is heading completely blind to everything around them and they're just like a hamster on a wheel just running 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 just constantly running and with no real direction and no real purpose the minute you extricate yourself from that and the minute you take yourself out of that position 
find yourself on a long distance run on the road or find yourself on a long distance cycle or find yourself in an endurance-based event. That's when you realize what's important. That's when you realize through that mindset shift, you can bring so much more to your work. You're a lot more calmer. You're a lot more composed. Little things don't annoy you anymore. You have so much more vision and so much more clarity about what you want to do. And to answer, to go back to the initial question, which was in terms of the lifestyle shift, you, you really need to want this lifestyle, right? It's not, it's not something that you simply wake up tomorrow and say, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing right now, which is go to work, you know, Friday night, go and party, do whatever you do recreationally or socially, and then decide Saturday morning I'm going to go for a long run. The two lifestyles are totally at odds. For me, it was a very easy decision to make that that is not a lifestyle that I want. And the lifestyle that I would very much prefer is sleeping early on a Friday night, waking up on a Saturday morning and going for a run, a long run, running on Sunday. I can honestly say from my point of view, it adds so much more value to your life than what it takes. Right? And that's, that's something I'd really want to impress on the viewers is that all you need to do is start. And you might have seen a, um, a Facebook post that I put up yesterday, and this might be controversial, but I don't give a fuck about the controversy. <laughs> it's this. If everybody took up running consistently tomorrow morning, psychologists would become almost obsolete overnight. I say almost because you're going to have that category of cases where people still genuinely need help despite their athletic abilities and their athleticism. But a lot of the shit that people is go people are going through is self-imposed and it's self-imposed because of poor lifestyle decisions. And I know that because I was one of them. Yeah, that's brilliant, Albus. And how, when you reflect on the response of your transformation from those close to you, sometimes those close to us can struggle with the dynamic shift. You know, like when we change, it could create changes in the relationships we have. Like, was that all smooth with like your business partners, your work environment, your family? Like, was that a weird transition in any way? Look, it's um, initially, it comes as a bit of a culture shock when you're doing certain things and then you're no longer doing those certain things and people take time to adjust. I'm not talking about my adjustment. Obviously, it takes time for the person to adjust to their new lifestyle, but um, the people around you need to adjust as well. And you would be amazed by the amount of people who leave and by the amount of new people who come in. And some of my best and closest friends who I speak with and who I, who I speak with on a daily basis and who send me messages and who encourage me and support me on the journey, or if I'm on a you know, long-distance cycle, would send messages, are people I haven't even met online, complete strangers. And others, obviously, I met through the running community and have run with them. But the message and one of the main reasons why I came on the podcast other than the fact that I really love what you do, I've seen a few of your podcasts, is to impress upon people that we really need to let go of the idea that we need to be living somebody else's fucking life. And there is a far higher purpose to life than waking up, going to work for 10 hours, coming home, paying bills and going to sleep and living that on autopilot, right? And the minute that mindset shifts and the minute that you take that first step and say that's it I'm going to develop a routine and the routine is going to consist of at least half an hour of exercise 
a day, right? And the idea is you don't need to be motivated. Motivation is all fucking bullshit. You know, I I used to listen, and I love the bloke, I used to listen to David Goggins for half an hour and think I could take over the world. But David Goggins, as much as I respect him, um, is only going to get you so far. You know, it, it's it requires a total mindset shift and discipline and consistency, and that's the only way that it can be done. Well said. I have to say I've watched your journey and I'm, I've seen a lot of journeys and everyone's journey is um, magnificent in its own, but your transformation has been it, it's it's full on. And then I think it was a story that needs to be told, particularly for the corporate athletes or the wannabe corporate athletes, the people that know there's something going on. They're not feeling well. Their health is going to shit. They're working. They're overworking. Their kids hate them. Their wife hates them. And maybe their husbands hates them or whatever. That there was going to be something in this interview which really would help shift the needle for them or a moment of realization. And I feel like that's happened through this dialogue and and we facilitated that so as we start to land the plane i first firstly just want to thank you Abbas. i feel it was a really great conversation and there's a lot in it in terms of your process and how people can adapt what you've been through and make it relevant for them now we always have one last question before we exit the show around habits and i want to ask you in your transformation or just day-to-day, were there any kind of key habits that you engage or do that have really supported you through this whole process? For, for me, and this is a very specific question, I wouldn't so much call it a habit, but I'd call it a ritual. Before my long runs on every every Saturday or before a, you know an endurance-based event, I would always make sure that I prepare everything the night before. And I'd even have my shorts laid out, singlet laid out, socks laid out, shoes, bananas, gel packs, everything I'm going to need is all laid out. That's the first part of it. And second part of it is, and this is, it's it's a foam rolling session right before I leave. And this is not because my body needs to be foam rolled before a long run, um, but this is because you're preparing your mind and, and you start developing these little nuances in your behavior where, uh, for example, you, your run starts by preparing it the night before. You go through a sequence of events the night before, the morning of, where before you even start running, your body knows this is going to be a long run. Your mind knows this is going to be a long run. And for me, it's the more important part is the actual build-up to it because you're preparing yourself mentally for what's to come. And that's that's one thing that I've really helped found helped me. There's other little things, uh, you know, like developing mantras that really help you throughout wh- whatever you're doing, whether it's work, whether it's uh, a long run. It's getting into the habit of developing mantras and sticking by those mantras when things get tough. For me, the habits are not so much nutrition-based or social-based. It's more little practices that I do in the lead-up to events to, to help me get there. Brilliant. Preparation, key. I mean, for me, it's a big part of my life because of the kids and trying to be all things to all people and, you know, a rock star here, rock star there, and just everything comes down to the minute um, for me, and I'm with you on that. And I think that's brilliant. 
piece of advice. So again, just want to thank you for your time, Abbas. Now, for our listeners, our audience that want to learn more about the cycling you do or find you or just learn more about you professionally, where can they find you? Um, I'm on Facebook, so we can just send me a, a request on Facebook. Okay. And are you on LinkedIn? I'm not on LinkedIn, no. <laughs> we need you on LinkedIn, man. All right, brother. Well, we'll, we'll have that in the show notes anyways. But really, again, just thank you for your time, man. No worries, Arjay. Thanks, mate.